Hi, my name is Benita Aluri. My name is Carrie Calhoun, and I'm a student producer for We Need to Talk, Tough Conversations in Healthcare. As the title implies, this is a podcast devoted to tough conversations in health, how they impact those of us in the next generation, and how we can offer potential solutions. All of our conversations are based on public town halls produced by our wonderful class at ASU College of Health Solutions. Hi, my name is Swapna Reddy, and I'm an attorney, policy expert, and professor. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Meyer, surgeon and palliative care physician. And hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, neurologist, and we're all faculty at the ASU College of Health Solutions. Today, we're talking about our recent live conversation regarding dementia. Will we need to take care of our parents? The story of dementia is all in the numbers. One of every nine people in the United States, age 65 and older, will have Alzheimer's disease. And two-thirds of Alzheimer's patients are all women. Our guests were Mayo Clinic's Dr. Richard Caselli, a neurologist and noted Alzheimer's researcher. Professor Julia Wallace, ASU Cronkite School's Frank Russell Chair of Journalism and member of the National Alzheimer's Association Board of Directors, and Ms. Jane Ransom, CEO of the American Brain Foundation. Swabna, as you think about that night, tell me what you thought about the general flow of the conversation and what you picked up. You know, I learned quite a bit that evening. I learned a lot of information about the disease, but you know, I learned specifically how it impacted women. I mean, it really feels like a very gendered experience. As we heard, a vast majority of those with the disease are women. Uh, And then there's this double whammy aspect because the vast majority of the caretakers are women as well. So it seems to be a very gendered experience, this disease, right, from the diagnosis perspective and then also from the caretaker's perspective. And especially as we think about what that means from a rapidly growing aging population, women tend to live longer, more and more women work outside of the home and are the primary breadwinners for families. So I found Julia Wall Wallace's comments really interesting. You know, you look at all the statistics about um, how much time women spend and how we have to balance work and home when we have kids, and then when our parents in some ways become our children, um, it just sort of repeats again. And so, um, you know, and it, it, you know, it impacts, you know, it's exhausting, and particularly in some cases when it impacts people, depending on where you are in the process, they can be dealing with parents and children at the same time. Um, and so it is definitely an exhausting issue and, you know, affects, you know, it affects economic issues, it affects women in the workplace and their ability to continue in the workplace and just as we see, you know, that balance of home and work continues. Another piece that really struck me was the stigma associated with this disease. Uh, It seems to be something where we, you know, as the guests were discussing, we are open usually when we have a cancer diagnosis, when we have other diseases diagnosed within our family or for ourselves. But this one seems to be highly stigmatized. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it for ourselves. We don't want to talk about it for our loved ones. I can certainly relate to that from my own family perspective. And I think sometimes you know there can be a cultural dimension there as well uh, and I think the guests had a really great personal story about the stigma associated with the disease so I, I'd like to tell you a story 
Um, when my father died of cancer, um, he had spent probably the last three years of his life caring for my mom, who was in the early to mid stages of Alzheimer's. And so when he dies, as a journalist, I wrote um, an obituary about his life um, that you know I was fairly proud of. And um, so at this point, she was no longer really able to read, so I read the obituary to her. And she's smiling and laughing, because it was, had some humorous things, because my father was sort of a larger-than-life character. And I got to the point where I talked about how um, he, had, he had lovingly cared for his wife who had Alzheimer's disease. And she looks at me and says, don't say that terrible thing. I thought what was really interesting in being a caregiver with palliative care and hospice and having interacted with many dementia patients was everyone had a story that they shared from their family. Uh, Joe, you had three stories, three family members that had had Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Professor Reddy uh, Swapna, she shared a story, and our panelists did. And I, I shared something about my mother who had uh, dementia over about a four-year period and the effect on her and, uh, and my father. And, and uh, that was the personal touch. Another thing that I, that I took away was Jane Ransom's couple of comments. One was her personal experience with her mother and her love of art. Yeah, and I just, going back to my mother's story, um, and she's still with us, she's a hearty 94-year-old deep in dementia. Um, she is, uh, she was a painter and a very, had a very successful art career. And she, we haven't, been able to get her to paint since she's had dementia, um, but we would always just suggest that she paint. Um, and then one day I said to my mom, you're coming over to my house for the day, and she said, what are we going to do? And I said, you're going to paint. And she said, oh, okay. And so she brought her over and she did beautiful paintings. Deep in dementia, she puts on her pants backwards. She doesn't know how to turn on the shower, but she has something deeply human in there. And uh, that's what we can't forget, because I really thought, I, when I saw that, I realized I had kind of bought into the stigma myself. With this, the, the way we talk about people with dementia, we say they're gone, you know, we've lost them, they're really not there anymore. But they really are there even if they put their pants on backwards and have to ask you 25 times, what time is it? There's something there that, that could be unlocked. Um, and that's what we need to try to help, help unlock that humanness that really is there with these people. And the other was from a role as CEO at, at the Brain Foundation about how funding for brain tumors has always been well-funded for research at the Institute, whereas Alzheimer's has not but she's seeing a dramatic increase in that funding over the years, which is, which is hopeful. You know, Greg, I, I have to admit, when I was listening to your, uh, your story and, and Swabna's, um, you know, I was, I was kind of like, like a, a momentarily kind of sitting there, kind of very um, touched how you kind of like how everything floods you and all of a sudden it becomes very personal to everyone. And I, 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 looking across the room, it just struck me uh, how everyone was kind of feeling and touched by this condition, no matter how it played out. 
Uh, what struck me uh, a lot, and, and I was trying to listen to Dr. Caselli as a, a noted researcher in this area, uh, was um, his description of the condition. Um, uh, he, he gave a nice uh, discussion about how there isn't just one a course that everyone flows under or, or traverses uh, as this condition, this disease progresses. And uh, I thought what he said um, was actually very, very useful. There is an idea out there that Alzheimer's is sort of a one-size-fits-all problem, and it's generally a very nightmare picture. But the truth is there's a lot of variability in how it progresses. As I say to my patients, you know, if chemotherapy could cure this, I'd like to diagnose it yesterday and be as aggressive as possible. But the fact is we don't have a cure. Despite all the claims, there is no cure right now. There's nothing we can mean meaningfully do right now to slow it down, prevent it from getting worse, which means people have to live with it. And living with it, it's a lot harder to live with a nightmare than to believe there's still life and hope. And I think the other piece that I, I liked when he answered a question from the audience when they were asking him about caregiving and all, and the way he, he mentioned something that if uh, ultimately, as long as there's love within the family, everything seems to work out regardless. I thought that was particularly beautiful. And I think that that's so correct as well. I think that that sort of family institution and the cohesion and the support uh, from other family members is, is incredibly important. I thought that was a beautiful sentiment on his part. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that all families that have a member with dementia don't have the resources from a family standpoint, from the love amongst themselves in the family financial resources uh, because it, uh, Alzheimer's disease and all of the dementias don't spare any type of uh, demographic or, or education level or value, worth, economic situations. And you just wish that in the future sometime there'll be more equitability between those that don't have resources or families can go somewhere and find some funding or whatever to help make up those gaps that exist out there. Yeah, I got the, the sense from listening uh, to uh, their messages from all three guests is that the time is now to make a huge push to increase uh, the funding for research, not only for the cure, but on the caregiving aspect. Uh, how does policy change for this? And I, I know, uh, Swapna, that that's always uh, was yeah, I think you even brought that up in terms of some easy things that could easily be done from a policy perspective that could help relieve some of that burden. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that if we look at our public health insurance programs and our public programs and how they can be used to support caregiving treatment and also support services, uh, to Greg's point earlier, especially for families and especially for communities um, where the financial burden is extreme. Um, so thinking about how to make this more equitable and accessible treatment and caregiving options um, more accessible and fair uh, for various populations. You know, an another piece of hope that I found 
found and I thought was really important for our students and for the young people um, that were, were with us that evening is the opportunity that lies in this area for, from a career standpoint. So lots of federal funding uh, for you know the first time ever uh, in, from a research perspective. We have a rapidly aging population, so probably lots of opportunities in healthcare, in caregiving, in research, in treatment for this larger population as well. So I really found that actually to be quite hopeful and uh, and and a, a really significant opportunity for for students and and the young people that were there. And as you would expect from our audience, which was younger, there was a lot of interest in diagnosing Alzheimer's sooner or earlier. Uh, so there's more time to, as we all know, there's not there's not really any treatment out there for the disease itself. It's supportive care. But as Dr. Caselli said, more and more money is being targeted for the research regarding the plaque formation and the, the tangles and all those things he described about the um, etiology and the process of Alzheimer's disease as it progresses. And, you know, another area of research, uh, earlier diagnosis, treatment of the disease, et cetera. Um, audience was interested in all of those areas. You know, uh, as my only sense uh, as I kind of walked away uh, from, from that evening uh, was a sense that um, although the disease is miserable and terrible and all the things that we all know it to be, I also heard there's a lot of life left in people who have the condition. And as, although it is nightmarish and unpleasant, uh, there's also a bit of hope and even learning of life lessons and, and, and connection that are so vital. And I was left at the end, not so much with a sense of like, oh my goodness, woe is us and, and, and this is where it's going, but more, you know what, maybe with everyone in, uh, in the room and, and, there were, and especially with our guests who are such heavy hitters in this area, um, maybe there will make a dent that will completely change what this means for the future. Absolutely. And there's a different type of unpleasantness with all diseases. With Alzheimer's, we see the, the mind and the memory and things like that, the loss of short term. But then you look at cancer patients with weight loss and loss of energy and uh, pulmonary diseases, struggling for air. It's, it's just a part of most chronic or progressive illnesses. There's an area of unpleasantness that, uh, that they all have. Greg, that's such a powerful point and really, I think, exemplifies why we absolutely need to continue this important conversation. So that's all for now. Special thanks to our student producers at ASU, our podcast producer, Sarah Ventry, and music by Brooke for free. Join us in February for our We Need to Talk live event and podcast when we'll be addressing fake health news. What's the truth? On behalf of myself, Swapna Reddy, and my co-moderators, Joseph Servan and Greg Meyer, as well as the entire We Need to Talk class at ASU College of Health Solutions, thanks so much for having the tough conversations with us. 